Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And generally speaking, uh, when we talk to administrators, it's kind of like we're always worried about what's going on and how things are. Well, tonight, I am absolutely delighted to welcome back to From the Boardroom to the Locker Room the uh, head honcho, the president of South African Rugby, Mark Alexander. Welcome to the show and congratulations on helping us become world champions again. Thanks so much. It's great being back on the show. Mark, let's just have a look back at the year. Um, and it's been absolutely magnificent in terms of the victory at the World Cup, but no small part to a huge organization that brought this World Cup trophy back to South Africa. No, I think, you know, I think everybody at South African rugby should take a tap on the shoulder and well done. You know, we've come through two darkest periods in, in, in the history of of rugby in South Africa. You know, we had the 2020, 16 to 2019. You know, the organization was in financial distress. Corporate investor confidence was all-time low. But we pulled together as an organization. We put a plan in place and we won the World Cup in 2019. And when we thought we were going to be riding the crest of the wave after we won the World Cup in 2019, the world turned on its head in 2020 with the pandemic. And once again, you know, uh, one must understand how South African rugby generates its, its money. Our revenue is generated by playing international events, 90% of our revenue, which funds all of rugby. So 2020, when, when uh, the restrictions came on, we couldn't deliver on our broadcast and uh, sponsorship commitments. And we had, what we had to do was to go back and put implement a mitigation plan, industry mitigation plan to save livelihoods and to save our unions from closing. So this World Cup win, every single member of the South African Rugby Union have played its part in getting us to where we are today. To, to say to them, thank you. Thank you for being part of a bigger team. And just to add to what you've just mentioned right now, uh, on the field, we have to play harder and better than everybody else. But off the field, we have to compete with an exchange rate that we are 20 times worse off than anybody else in the world. And, and, and that, is, that is the challenge. You know, we, 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 we participate in our, our competitions as I said, we generate our money from from participating internationally, be it the URC, the EPCR, or the championship. It's international based, and and uh, we play. We're competing against the euro, the pound, the yen, the Aussie dollar. It's, it's very difficult. But again, it's about that South African spirit, that collective spirit. That we are. we go. We got a lot of chutzpah in our country, and I think yeah. people put up their hands, and, and 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 this is the result. It wasn't just a handful of us; it was a whole collective of South African rugby that got together and delivered on this on this mandate two years in the history of South African rugby. And I want to thank every person in South African rugby, from the lady that makes the tea to the guy that delivers the stuff. Every single one have contributed. And I know the team did their work and I think, but behind that, there was a big machinery that worked with our regions, our unions. They are the ones that we should say well done to as well. And if I may say, Congratulations and well done to you as well, because you know what, you took a lot of flack. Firstly, when we pulled out of uh, playing rugby against the Australian and, and New Zealand sides uh, in super rugby, um, and obviously the Tri-Nations or the Four Nations competition that we are in, then we had to travel in and out of Europe, and there was a lot of criticism. But I guess when you sit back now, without saying, I told you so, what more could we ask for defending the World Cup trophy? We had no option but to go north. We're actually still paying our way into the north. 
So, you know, even the little money we have, we're paying away to be full equity partners in uh, the URC. Before we should generate money from broadcast and we could distribute it among our members. That money is going away into the north. And uh, in 2025, we full shoulders of the PCR. And then the money we generate will be distributed to our members. We had a double challenge. We only didn't only have not be able to generate some money. We also had to buy our way into the north. Obviously, it comes, as you mentioned, at a cost. And it is a long-term investment. Now it's a long-term investment. And, and I think it's an investment for the future. Because not only is it about the money, it's also about player welfare. Our players, when we play to the Southern Hemisphere, that long distance travel with the young guy who's married, he's got a young family at home. When he g- wakes up in the morning, his family's sleeping and they go for five weeks at a time. Players didn't want that anymore. And it takes a toll on the player welfare. And so we, we need to look what was best for our players. Playing against the All Blacks and playing against the Aussies, it's, it's good for our game, but it's just too far for us to do that for five weeks on a trot. I think a lot of credit must go to the fact that, for a change, the players' welfare and the players' well-being in a sport that predominantly, what, 20 years ago was an amateur sport, is being taken into account. And I don't think the South African public and maybe rugby publics around the world actually understand what it's like being on the southern tip of Africa as ourselves around outside of our own country to be able to better our game. True. We, we, I think we box above our weight in so many ways, financially, you know, uh, just from a logistics point of view. Or, you know, even the market here, uh, the, the South African sponsorship has dried up in our country after the COVID, you know. So we don't have a, a big sponsorship market that federations can go and uh, get money to fund their programs. So we, we really box above our weight as, as South Africans and, and we show a lot of res- uh, resilience across the board, across all sports. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and, and I think sometimes we um, try and compete with first world countries. We are only a third world country. I'm sure that that's perhaps Rossi phoning you to ask him where's his Christmas present. Um, <laughs> no, no, but, no. But, uh, no, not at all. Uh, but obviously it comes down, doesn't it, to our team needs to perform at the highest level, winning a World Cup. And I guess a lot of sponsorship deals can follow negotiations i guess are made a hell of a lot easier when you're negotiating with sponsors as world champions as opposed to runners-up so that's for sure that, that does help and i certainly hope this time around we can ride the crest of a wave and do better deals for the next four years for for our organization last time when we won it came january came march and then the, uh, all the doors started shutting on us in, in south africa and, and, and that was a problem so this time around we're hoping to ride the crest of the wave as far as our commercial program is concerned, but also the, our expansion program into into new areas and, and into new schools. You know, we have to pay our own way to, to, to fund school rugby. We, we, we fund school rugby because we don't get funds for school rugby, so it's funded out of our, our general budget. You know, the, nobody sponsors us to fund development of schools because we've got such an untapped player base in the Eastern Cape, but go, they go to government schools. And unfortunately, 90% of the so-called government schools, not the Model C or the private schools, don't do any form of sport. So the barrier to entry for those children and for the given opportunities is difficult. You know, you have a socioeconomic problem because the kids, most of those kids go to school without even having a decent meal. And the other thing, when a youngster turns 16, beyond 16 and above, you can't just play with flair anymore. You need to build mass. Build mass, you need, you need to have nutrition on a daily basis. 
And that costs money. So you can only do it in smaller bite sizes, you know, we could, rather than going out and mass and, 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 and make creating opportunities for those children. It's, it's, it is a major problem for us. But it's a major problem for other sports as well because of school sports uh, falling under the Department of Education. And I guess that makes it a, 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 it's a good problem to have in a weird way when you've got these youngsters, as we saw, idolizing the Springbok rugby team, wanting to go out there and play the game. And then, as you say, getting to that age of 15, 16, where they need more than just a dust field in Zwede to be running around and kicking a rugby ball. How do we fix that, though? Because it's, it's, it's a socioeconomic problem that we have in this country. Where and what is the solution? And I don't, I don't expect you to have all the answers, but what do you think is the way forward? One of the things that I'm actually busy with is a project to build a school in the East, a rugby school for boys and girls. But this school also, kids that have to stay on the premises, you, you live on the premises at the school, where the kids will have the necessary nutrition on a daily basis, but also have the best coaching available. You know, we take things for granted where we walk into a gym. They don't have access to a gym. You can run on the road as, for days, but, but you know, you, it's not going to build you the mass and the strength you need for, to play rugby. So we need facilities there. And in and, and, and our small way, this school can provide, firstly, good education, give the kids the nutrition they need on a daily basis, give them access to a gym and good rugby coaching. So I'm, I'm busy with a project and we've got some funders and I'm working with, with the, the, the Premier of the Eastern Cape because I believe we, we must do something for the Eastern Cape. They're the worst as far as um, the socioeconomic uh, problems are. And it's, the, and it's an area where rugby is popular. How surprised have you been as president of SA Rugby at the huge success and the way rugby has unified a country when, let's be perfectly honest, um, in the dark days of this country, the Springbok emblem and Springboks were looked at as part of the apartheid regime. They were almost directly linked more than any other sport in this country. How surprised are you at where we are 30 years later? It's, it starts with the culture. When sport was unified in the early 90s, at that time, we had a discussion around logos and stuff like that. And the Springbok logo of uh, Mr. Mandela he said, the Springbok logo is a logo we we'll use to help us with social cohesion. Has helped us with social cohesion. People bought behind that logo and the, uh, the Mandela vision. I really, you know, this what I've seen over the last couple of days really talks to that vision of Mr. Mandela. The last couple of weeks, how the people came out and supported the team. It was unbelievable. It just creates hope for those young kids, you know, boys and girls who want to play rugby. And it puts smiles on people's faces. It's really touching when we watch those videos. When the players went out on the field, they knew they're not playing for themselves. They're playing for all those those messages and those smiles. They see. They're playing for them. We hear it so often about playing for them, and we stand on the outside looking in. You were right there in the heat of the battle. It was. It's 100% genuine, isn't it? It's 100% genuine, and they watch these messages. We had message boards. They understand that it's not about playing to get yourself seen by international team. You're playing for a bigger cause. Even the guys who, who never played seven games, they understood the reason why. they and Because they, they formed part of a bigger team. All 33 players contributed to the, 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 the success of the field because they bought into a vision, and a vision that Rassi put together about understanding the environment you're operating and what sport can do to make it to create hope and to create, make that environment better for individuals who excel through sport. So, you know, we really believe in that. And I can tell you, they walk the talk.
Our president saw it when he came to address the players. That is what it means to them. You're listening to From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. I'm Louis Carpus. We're talking to the president of South African rugby, Mark Alexander. Right, Mark, let's get into a couple of topics that we all want to know. So Jacques Ninaber is now off and gone to look after some Irish rugby club. Um, Rossi's still around. Is is he going to look after the team going forward? I know we don't play again until the middle of next year, which I guess is a pity for us. I guess the players need a bit of a break, don't they? Yeah, then you know they've got other commitments to the clubs they play in internationally. But look, Russ is the director of rugby. He's responsible to deliver the national teams and and our rugby programs. He's quite comfortable when he's when he's ready. He'll find somebody, and if we don't find somebody, Russ will be the coach. He will fill in the gap. You know, so you're not panicking. We have some roles that we have to replace urgently, which is the roles vacated by Felix Jones. So we we heard the odd bark at a dog in the background there, Mark. And you know what? Immediately it makes me think of the late Doc Craven and, and his dog Blixem. <laughs> One so day in 20 years' time, so. are we going yeah, to... They're a little bit smaller than that. So back to what, 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 what we were discussing um, with regards to the, the situation with Rossi and, and the coaching position in the team. Enlighten us where we're going and what we're going ahead. And I think look, we're going to make overtures to certain people to, to fill in the, the roles left by Felix. And, uh, but I think we've got enough cover for now, and we're not rushing into anything, we're going to do our wash-up and then decide what are the holes we need to fill and, and, and the vacancies we need to, to fill rather urgently. But we need to do the wash-up and, 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 and take stock of where we want to do and what we what the spring box going forward. Because, you know, uh, we had a plan up till now, so we need to de- devise a new plan or modify the plan that we had going forward. And, and our wash-up will do, we will do that. So there's no rush to appoint a coach tomorrow. We've got enough cover to deliver. If we have to, the guys have, we work with the players from now until the next game we play in July. They're in constant contact with the, with the coaching staff like Rossi and the other guys. They, they, they analyze their, their, their plays and stuff and, and advise them on a weekly basis. So that will continue. Though that work will continue. So, but, but we, once we've done a wash up, which we'll be doing in December, and, uh, then we'll put a plan in place of uh, possibly advertise for one or two people. To join the coaching staff. So that's the coaching staff. What about the players? How how does it work with regards to contracting players? I know that the focus was to prepare a team that luckily, if you like, for lack of a better word, won in 2019, but the goal was always to win 2023. Are they contracted for an extended period of time or how do you work it? No, no. So we've got two, two types of, of, of players. We have players who play internationally who are actually contracted to the international franchises. And we've got players that play in the local setup that we have a contract called a pony contract. Players of national interest. Some of them are current Springboks. Some of them the verge of becoming Springboks. And we've got some young from the junior Springboks, uh, one or two players in, in position. So Rassi has a chart. And he plots these all these players that is coming through the system. And they monitor and advise. And yeah, so we look, certain players will not be there in, in 2027, but we got the bulk of the team will be eligible to play. I, I just looked at the ages again last night. I think we got about five, five or six players that, that won't be around, possibly around the next World Cup. But there's enough cover currently, and there's a, there's a lot of talent coming through, a lot of young talent coming through. One of those players that we now know won't be around, but I think we need to give credit to and kudos to is Dwayne Vermeulen. He has been a servant second to none. Unbelievable. Unbelievable player who put his body on the line uh, year in and year out when he was actually instructed to have his knees sorted out. You know, he played for years with, with a problem knees. Anybody, he, he goes in there and gives his 100% on the field. 
And before this World Cup, we had to send him, look, you must go sort those knees out now. We need you <laughs> to be healthy when we go into the tournament. And, and he did that. So I, I would imagine Duane will pop up somewhere as a coach. You know, he's he's just an unbelievable rugby person and he's got a good rugby play. Perhaps one of the disappointments of 2023 was the the form of our sevens team. Again, you see that, yeah, that, that is so true. So we, we lost a lot of players. We lost Neil. And you're in a new building phase again. You're going to the building phase. And, and due to, to um, the pressures of, of COVID, you know, we, we were restricted with finances and stuff. We, 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 we had smaller squads. And that is the results of that decision we made. We, that was a mistake. It was a mistake to reduce the squads we had. We had bigger squads and a bigger academy squad of players. We reduced that. And by reducing that, all of a sudden, we had a whole string of injuries and, uh, and we failed in our, in our program. Not because... Um, of the players or the coaches, I think it's, uh, as an organization, we were budget-wise, but I think we were pound foolish. Very big of you to say that as an organization you failed, and, I, and I'm impressed by you saying that because organizations generally don't admit when they make their mistakes, and I think that's part of why rugby in South Africa has become such a success is that you're able to look at, at failures and successes and build on them. So we were talking about the success and failures that you actually are able to admit at SA Rugby, which is something really big because a lot of organizations either sweep their failures under the carpet or don't admit to being having a failure and moving forward. Yeah, look, it was it was it was a, it was a mistake on our made, made smaller squads due to the financial constraints, but yeah, that is the results of smaller squads uh, where that we see on the field currently. We don't just have the depth like we had before. And then, of course, coming up now uh, in, in Cape Town, beautiful Cape Town Stadium, the sevens, I guess, was always going to be full. But with the success of the, of the Springbok 15s, I can imagine, well, I actually can't imagine what the atmosphere and the vibe is going to be like over those couple of days in Cape Town. No, it's going to be it's going to be great. The sevens also attracts a different younger crowd, fancy dress where you know guys come all dressed up for the thing. But but again, this is the first time that the, that the event is actually a world rugby event. You know, before we hosted it for them and we ran everything. This time round, it's a world rugby run event. So it's quite strange. You know, we have we got a hype coming up. It's actually it's run by world rugby with their own team of people. And we just uh, assisting where we can for with them. So they changed them, the sevens model. So it's really interesting to see how this event unfolds uh, this time around with World Rugby fully in charge of the event. Mark, tell us a bit about um, the successes and the future for ladies rugby, which of course is becoming more and more popular and our Springbok ladies team are getting better and better. They are getting better and better, but you know, a woman's sport in this country is not sexy enough for corporates South Africa. They're not putting the money where, where it's where in, into women's sport. I've met with the Deputy Minister of Finance to raise two things. You know, in the early in the 70s and 80s, there were, there were tax breaks for people who sponsored sport because we don't have money to give help federations, but there are ways we can, we can get companies to put money to sport because if there's a tax break. And this time around, we're saying the tax break is for, for companies who put, who sponsor Women's sport, any women's sport, give them a tax break for five years so we can kickstart women's sport in the country and, and let, let corporates see how the women's sport is, 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 is just as good as, as, as a men's sport and sometimes even better. So that's one way we can do that is by changing the giving tax breaks. The other one is, is a DTI with the CSI uh, codes, make women's sport 
CSI accessible because you got the 3% that listed companies give women support access to that as CSS, part of CSI. And that will kickstart the programs in women support. But the, the, the major problem here, we're not getting corporates back women's support in the country. Very few of them do. And that's not going to help. We need, we need more, more, more funding for, for women's support in general. It's crazy when you, t- I mean, I, you're 100% right in what you say, but when you think about it, the success of the ladies' cricket team in the World Cup here in South Africa, the T20, the Netball World Cup here in South Africa, um, added to, to, to all of that the magnificent success, albeit they didn't get out of the first round of the World Cup, FIFA World Cup, but the popularity that the ladies got through the public. How and why do you think? Corporates don't want to get involved in ladies' sport. You know, it's, it took a long time in countries like America as well. You know, so so and and, and but, but what we're proposing, the government does, is just to kickstart it, to give it a, 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 a big financial boost, so we can get it out and showcase it, and then and, and I think then corporates will come and get involved in assisting with the women's sport. But the women's sport in general, they don't get the same amount of financial contributions from corporates as men, the men's games and the men's sport. And that is a problem. Let's give compliments, though, to those sponsors who have backed the Springboks, got behind them from yes, the for sure. to the bank to MTN. I mean, that is fantastic that we have that kind of sponsor. We cannot do this on our own. Of course not. And I must say, you know, when our, our sponsors are the ones that make things happen for us. Without them, we can't do this. We cannot do this, what we do, without our sponsors. And they have come and helped in so many other ways, not only financially, Created other platforms and put into rugby. It's unbelievable. And then they put into cricket and other sports. But you know, our sponsorship market is very small in the country. Very small. And there's 87 codes of sport, you know. Only some of us get. What about those who don't get? Yeah. And that's why we have kids who have, we have problems in, 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 with the youth. Youth are involved in going to taverns and succumbing in the taverns. They're involved in drugs, gangsterism, because... There's no extramural activities for them. There's no extramural activities. So we need to have a plan around the children, the kids, and, and, and especially the have-nots in those public schools. Yeah, you know, I don't want to politicize the interview with you, but with respect, shouldn't our government be doing more? I know they should be doing more. So respect, I, must, I, mean, I must appreciate that we've got, a, we've got an energy crisis. We've got an education crisis. We've got a medical crisis. You know, where do you start? You know, what, how do you prioritize this? It's, 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 it's tough. It's really tough, and I suppose. But but I I'm just saying, create vehicles where we can get other money. Open up doors. There's other ways we can skin this cat. We can we can find innovative ways to make it work. But with due respect, I mean, and you've mentioned it earlier in in the interview. SA Rugby were in a very similar boat a couple of years ago with COVID and all the other issues that came. The exchange rate got worse and worse and worse. But you guys have come out of it. You've managed to to survive the bad times, the drought, and now we're reaping the rewards. But you need to have a, con- a plan and where people buy into it. It's about, we have to buy into a plan. And I think, you know, uh, we can do this as a country. We are a very resilient country, but we don't have a plan. Yeah. And that's where the problem lies, you know. If you don't have a plan, then you're planning to fail. 100%. So before we wrap it up, the, the euphoria around winning the World Cup in 95, the euphoria around winning it in 2007, 2019, and now 2023. And this is a task that's on your shoulders and I'm sure weighs heavily on your shoulders. How do we sustain that unity and that feeling of pride of being South Africans now? 
for the next four years till the next Rugby World Cup. That must be really difficult. That is, it's, it, is, it is tough, but, you know, you know it's, it's about that togetherness. You know, in, uh, we, need to, we need to work, no matter what it is, whatever sport it is, we need to work in a team. It's not individuals who make the difference. It, it's all of us buying into a plan and delivering on that plan. And it cannot be done. There's no eyes in team. Yeah. There's two eyes, their dedication, and three eyes in discipline. That's what's needed. And, and we can do it as a country in all the things we do wrong, we have here. We must pool our resources and work together and find innovative ways to do it as a collective. Stronger together, as they say. Final words from you. I'm sure you've been asked this a million times to talk about what Sia Kolisi, Jacques Ninaba, and Rassi Rasmus have done for SA Rugby and for the country. Yeah, that's unbelievable. And, and, and I must commend them. You know, they are true leaders. You know, they've, they've really embraced the word Ubuntu. They really, they are real, they're true champions. And those players, they understand the role they got to play. As Rassi said once to them, you know, you're not playing for yourself here. You're playing for a bigger cause here. If you want to play for yourself, you don't belong in this team. Because we're playing for all of us. We're playing for our country. You pull that jersey on, everything changes. And that is the key to the scene. And I want to thank all the South Africans who supported us. All those messages really inspired these guys to another level. You know, the, 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 there was a New Zealand says, we don't have those messages like the South Africans. These guys don't play for a rugby game. They're playing for a bigger cause. And I think we, in all of sport, we can do that. And the cricket, I certainly hope, is going to pull this thing off. And the soccer and everybody else, but we need to play for something bigger. It's not about us, but we form part of a bigger society, a South African society. But if you allow me, there's one little thing I would like to say now. And I, I just want to sympathize with the young lady who lost her life while following the, the trophy parade in Eastern Cape. Yeah. We're really saddened by that. You know, that's the one thing we didn't want is for somebody to get hurt. It's supposed to be a celebration of just being South Africans. And to lose a life at a young age like that, really our, our, our condolences go to our family and friends. And all concerned, you know, it's the last thing that we wanted in rugby. And it's my, always been my biggest fear with these events where we a lot of people and people pushing and stuff. It's always a fear and, and I'm really saddened by that. And it's really, it's actually, it actually ended on a sad note when we heard of the young person who passed away. You know, on a, on a heartfelt note from me to you, on behalf of the listeners of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room, I thank you so much for, whenever we've asked you, you've had the courage to come and answer some difficult questions sometimes. Um, and when sport's in the hands of an administrator like yourself, it gives me hope that we can go forward. Mark Alexander, the president of the South African Rugby, we thank you as always for your time. Well, thank and you, sir. On a final note, um, you know, your phone's been going, your dogs have been barking. Come on, when are you going to have a holiday? <laughs> Hopefully on the 24th of December. <laughs> for what? For one day? <laughs> no, you need a bit more than that. Come on. Now, baby, we, we, look, we, this is a busiest period, and we, we take breaks in between. But but, but uh, for now, now our plan starts for the next four years. And, you know, that is our focus. And, and in general, we will finalize that. And, uh, and uh, you know, we, the biggest problem we have, you know, we don't have a pipeline of administrators coming through. It's a, it's a major concern. It's a major concern for, 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 for all sport. We're not having a pipeline of administrators because sport is, sport is a business. And we need to build that capacity so we can continue delivering in the things we're doing. Wow. You know, rugby is a 1.6 billion organization. But it, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. We need people who can who can drive this program, create something. We need to do that. And then really, I think one day you should have a program. Just talk about 
the, the issue about getting a pipeline for support in general in our country. Well, you've just answered a question. Thank you. We will be calling you to join us on that panel when we do decide in the very near future to have a discussion like that. Mark Alexander, as always, an absolute pleasure chatting to you on From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And thank you so much from the whole of South Africa. You, as the president, don't get the same kind of thanks that the team does. And from all of us, thank you. And thanks for joining us on From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. No, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. That's tonight's edition. Once again, we bring you the top administrators, the top players, and the top stories in the world of sport. Until next time, be nice to each other, and bye for now.